This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. I got to tell you, I don't get pumped up. For too many episodes, but these next several, we've got some freaking legends coming on the show, and, and this man today is no exception. Mr. Jerry Connery from out west couldn't be further away from me, but I feel like we're we're kindred spirits. So happy to have you on the show today, Jerry. Well, Dave, I have to tell you, Dave, this is my very first podcast. So that's awesome. Nice. I, I am a, I'm a virgin at 57, so you know, treat me gently. <laughs> Listen, it, it's uh, that's actually kind of what my mission is. I want the the people who are not always heard from in the industry to let their voice be heard on a platform that'll go out and let people see just exactly why they're as successful as what they are. So to hear that means that I've accomplished my mission. Now the second part of that is giving them some useful stuff to that will help them. But why don't you, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. You bring so much to the table that I know that I'm personally going to be able to learn and take things from this conversation. But why don't you set the table and let everybody just sort of give them your background and and how you got to where you're at today. And then a little bit about the agency and we'll go from there. Sure. Uh, So this is my 33rd year in the business. Um, I started as a, a little farmer's agent in Orange County, California, and from there um, uh, made the mistake of entering um, uh, management with farmers and became a district manager and managed about 45 agencies, about a $50 million book at the time, um, which in in 95 to 2000 was a pretty significant number. Um, and then uh, in 2000, they started to decide that they were going to go into financial services and they were going to put the burden on the district managers and um, if you know me well, you know that I'm not one to um, bite my tongue. Uh, I'll confront issues. And I think it's for the better. I think that the, the, the entire world sometimes um, lacks folks who will confront problems, but do it in a, in a positive way, not a negative way. Um, I don't confront negatively. I confront positively. But I confronted the issue. Um, it put me as a target, and um, farmers and I parted ways. Because at 32 years old, I wasn't going, I'm sorry, at 37 years old, I wasn't going to be miserable for the rest of my career. And uh, um, 
I used the contract value of that to buy a little agency that was 75% personal lines and 25% commercial. Um, but the commercial had all the right markets. And uh, that was in Tustin, California back in uh, 2002, first day of 2002. And, uh, and since then, we've taken that little agency that generated about 700,000 in revenue to uh, just under 3 million this year. And, uh, um, and the agency is now 65% commercial, 35% uh, uh, personal lines. Good deal. And I mean, you're not playing around with small accounts either. I mean, you've, you've got, you've got some, some big stuff that you're working on, which is, which is interesting to me because that, that's what stimulates, uh, stimulates our mind. You know, I've never met an account that I'm not willing to attempt to work on, but I also understand that some of those I uh, am going to hand off to somebody who's far more qualified how have you approached making yourself better over the years? Do you have CIC, CRM, and all of that stuff? Um, I'm, I'm just interested to know because we were talking about a pretty unique scenario before we started recording. And I mean, there's a lot of people that couldn't carry that conversation. Yes, well, we, we could talk about that. No, I don't have a CIC. In fact, all of my producers have to have one. And uh, um, so... Uh, don't do as I say, or don't do as I do, do as I say kind of uh, mentality. But the reality is, is that I understand the value of it. Um, I, I went old school in my learning. You know, I went to, um, uh, I went to real insurance school. Okay. They, they hardly even have it anymore. Um, and when I did that, um, I was taught insurance from forms. You know, we read forms and then we read definitions and we understood things and we didn't learn insurance by selling it and then finding out what it does and doesn't do. Um, we actually, you know, learned the insurance long before we walked into the door and sold something to someone. And, uh, um, you know, this is the old Aetna program. Um, uh, Aetna used to be a player in the day in the eighties. Um, and, uh, I went through that Aetna training and then, uh, farmers training on uh, before that. And between those two things, I learned how to, uh, um, basically, uh, you know, basically represent commercial risk on a generalist basis. Um, and as you do that, and as you grow clientele, and as you grow the, in, in the risks associated with those things, um, you, you have to remain open-minded and learning as you go. And um, I don't have uh, any arrogance in me built in. I recognize what I don't know. Um, and, uh, and because of that, I think that I've always been a student and I still am. It's funny, man. I think one of the hardest things for any of us to do is walk away from accounts or admit that we're, we have a weakness somewhere. And I've never really been somebody who's had a problem doing that. I'm, I'm pretty self-aware for the most part. Uh, I know what I'm good at. And it's, it's honestly the truth that if it's something I'm not good at, it doesn't even make it into the pipeline. I won't prospect it because why would I put myself in, into that position? But I, you know, I see it. I talk to commercial agents all over the country every week and guys, you got to learn to walk away. You don't have to write every single account. You don't have to prospect every single account that comes across your desk. I realize that we have revenue pressure, but sometimes we spend so much time writing the wrong thing that we lose money on that account and we trip over accounts that would have made us a lot on the way just to try and, and do that. And so you know, it, it, it's interesting to hear that you did it the old way. I did it the old way. I mean, I I went to insurance 
school, like just even pre-licensing in Florida is brutal. It's 200 hours before you can sit for the test. And that was five 40-hour weeks of listening in class, in person, which I absorbed it like a sponge because I had no background or experience in it. And I'm thinking, and, and all I ever heard was, oh, 70% of the people don't pass the test the first time. You yeah, know? but you also have an insane memory, like insane memory. Yeah, I do to a certain degree. So I, you know, I, I gobbled all of that up and then I did. I, I immediately went out and got my CIC um, because I wanted to to level the playing field as quickly as I could. I think the other the other issue that a lot of producers have is they feel like there's a way to just download experience. That doesn't happen, man. You, you There's no USB cord that you can plug into the side of your neck and then into the wall and download five years of experience, 10 years of experience. You got to go out and get your rear end kicked a few times and also win a few times in order to, to really learn the industry and, and how you craft your own value proposition and how you represent yourself at the point of sale. But one of the things that Jerry said to me one, one time he and I were talking that I, I, I still remember this and I laugh at it. We were talking about doing uh, experience modification analysis and using software to do it. And his comment was, I can still do it with a paper and pencil. I don't need any kind of software to tell me how to audit an experience mod. And I don't know that you get any more, you know, old school than that right there. Well, <laughs> let me just talk to that for a minute. You know, a lot of people, they know how to answer a question in a system. But if you don't understand the machinations behind the system, to me, I will use that software just to validate what I've already done myself mathematically. But the other part of it is, is that it usually produces something pretty, you know, to present. It's, you know, that's what you're paying for is the thing you're going to give the client. But those people out there that pretend that they're insurance experts, they, they pretend they're risk managers and they go out there and they bring in these these pre-made packets and they they, they go to, uh, I don't know, Zywave or something and download something and then they sound they try to sound intelligent. The, what worries me about them more than anything is that you don't learn anything in, in, in the course of um, engaging a client by talking. You only learn by listening. And you'd never learn by telling. You only learn by asking. And so if there's something that you're going to take out of this conversation with me today, I'm going to say this, David. I haven't heard any of your other uh, pods, so I don't know whether anybody's ever advocated this before or not. But here's the Jerry Conneryism right now for today. The sale is made in the, in, in, in the, uh, um, in the process of, of going through the underwriting, okay? The sale is made in the fact finding. And so, and, and you tell me that that isn't true to you too, you know? No, I, I agree completely. And I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're selling a risk management value proposition or you're selling an insurance understanding and experience value proposition, you have to go through and through that portion of the process to be able to articulate what the solution is going to be for that person. And you're a hundred percent right, man. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that I hear just vomiting insurance speak to somebody who really has no clue what's even being explained to them. It's not being explained. It's just being regurgitated when really you can ask open-ended questions, sit back with a legal pad and a pen, and you're going to get that information. And, you know, one of the things that I've found over the course, you know, we're, I'm going on 20 years now, so I'm not not quite at your level of experience, but I'm I'm there. Um, you know, two decades is a long time to devote your life to anything. And 
you know, I've gotten much better at that piece of it, of just saying, hey, why don't you tell me about this? And that's it. They're going to tell you. Now, you have to set the table, depending on what your comfort level or that person's comfort level is with you when you get in front of them. I joke most of the time and say, look, obviously I'm not an attorney, but I you know, can play one today. And what I mean by that is this conversation, you have attorney-client privilege. I'm not going to say anything to anybody else outside this room, but if you want me to help you, you have to be upfront with me. There can't be secrets. And if you don't feel comfortable in that kind of a relationship, my firm's probably not going to be the one to represent you because I can't, I can't go out and represent you without knowing where the bodies are buried. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, bottom, be careful about that attorney, attorney client privilege. Uh, it, 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 it's like that, but what you want to really say, and you want to say it right, which is that the canons of ethics in our industry are that your, everything you tell us is 100% kept in complete confidence and that we uh, would be subject to not only lawsuits from you, but the loss of our license and, and our entire uh, livelihood if we were to violate that, we will communicate what needs to be communicated to the marketplace in order to properly represent you. Um, but everything that's communicated is going to be done through encryption and proper process. And um, and whoever it is shared with can only be using it for the purpose of underwriting your risk and for your benefit. So that is the right way to say that, um, uh, just so that we don't say the wrong thing. Um, that we're not attorneys and we get ourselves in trouble when we, when, when we try to equate ourselves to them, even though they call me and ask me advice constantly. <laughs> yeah. All the time. Yeah. Typically I'll say something like I didn't stay in the holiday Inn express last night. I didn't graduate <laughs> law school. There you go. I want to get into some of the stuff that you guys are doing in the community, because that was originally what led this podcast to happen. But before we do that, Okay. Anytime I've got a guy that's got as much experience as you do, I know how many wild things I've seen over the course of my career. I always want to ask guys like you, what's the craziest account situation, whatever, that you've had to deal with over the course of your time in the industry? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a good, I'll give you a great claims scenario. How's that? That works. Perfect. It was uh 2005 and um, uh, written through Liberty Mutual was a manufacturer of um, uh, bars and cookies and, and confections. Um, and uh, uh, they had a product that was um, stamped and marked as uh, kosher, uh, which is a very important thing to a, a large community. Even beyond the Jewish community, it's important to some people that just want certain um, healthiness associated with the kosher mm-hmm. mark. And uh, um, the, this manufacturer is large enough that a day's run at that time in 05 would work, be worth between seven and $800,000, okay, in product. And um, they had purchased uh, glycerin uh, from a new uh, supplier um, who represented that the glycerin was, um, uh, was kosher. Um, and when the rabbi came in to certify, um, He's looking through the list of suppliers and he sees that this supplier is one that he's never heard of before. So he does a little bit of investigation and determines that, in fact, the product is not kosher, even though represented by the, the, the supplier that it was. And our client was told that it could not release the product because they manufacture for a national brand 
that they could not release the product and that they needed to destroy the product. And that was a $780,000 um, uh, circumstance. Well, they call me and they said, well, um, is this covered? And I said, <laughs> and I said, well, let's see if you had uh, manufacturers errors and omissions, it might be covered. Um, but the question that we have to ask here is this, is this, uh, is this bodily injury? No. Um, so is it property damage? And that was the big question was if it was property damage and Jerry Connery in his case, not only got that claim paid um, by Liberty Mutual, and not only did they completely get reimbursed through the um, uh, subrogation process after a four-year period, um, but the actual special form that you read today was changed. The version changed after that loss because carriers did not want that kind of risk repeating itself. But we proved that that was subject to a special form loss because special form says only the excluded things and it does not fit the exclusion. And at the time, it did have things that were related to um, uh, the manufacturing, the product, the touching of it. Um, and they thought that they had what they needed, except that the case law was only on the world of construction and not in the world of manufacturing. And it wasn't supported. The claim was paid. The client was made whole. Um, I was a hero for a week until, <laughs> until the, 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 re, the renewal period came. And, uh, <laughs> and all those things. I, I, I wasn't. I didn't earn any profitability bonus that year, but I, I to this day, um, I still have that uh, that group as a client, and I just got done renewing. It's uh, it, that's the case we were just talking about. So, oh no, kidding! Uh, okay. You know the thing that the thing that comes to my mind when I hear that story is it sounds like your client dodged a major bullet by not losing shelf space or future earnings potential as a result of having to destroy that batch. Well, just you know, to add misery to everything, um, there was $40,000 in storage fees associated with that. There was uh, $18,000 in destruction fees associated with that. So not only did they have all of that, but, and I will tell you, the two men that um, own that company, um, I, one of them actually weeped on the phone uh, with me as he told me the story. And, you know, it's moments like that. And these are, this was a company at the time was doing 65, 70 million in sales. Today it's over 200. But the point was, was that th th this is, this was a very successful man, had eight or 900 employees. And yet who did he turn to and who was he looking for? And who was the person that needed to tell him what he needed to hear? And I didn't have anything to tell him at the time because I'm looking at conventional wisdom, conventional knowledge. But what I told him and what's really important is that, you know what? You have every right to make a claim and I have every right to advise you of the best attorney you could have for that purpose. And that's exactly what I did is I put them in touch with the best property attorney I knew and the, the attorney was successful and ISO 18 months later changed the form. The lesson that agents need to take from that is, is this you're so worried about talking about getting attorneys and accountants as referral partners there's times you actually need to know who the right person is to represent your client. And I mean, we we had something similar, not similar to that. I have never dealt with anything like that. But I mean, we had one with, it, it was actually the one I was talking about before we got on. It was the, the uh, egg laying facility up in the Carolinas where we had um, snow come in and it accumulated rapidly. 
And then the next day it melted. It got up warm enough to where the snow melted and then immediately froze that night and more snow came down and the roof collapsed on the four pillars that were holding, holding the laying house up. And I was not happy. Zurich was the carrier at the time and they wanted to come in and they were, you know, the, the issue that we ran into with this was the business income because the market value of eggs changes so much that if you're not a financially stable company, you have some serious issues. This company was a hundred and some million a year in sales. They they were very frugal. They they had plenty of reserves. They said, look, avian blur, bird flu is happening right now. The price of eggs from the good parts of the country are through the roof. We want to let this thing ride because we don't want to get stuck in a situation where we're, we're not settling the claim for what we should have based on the current market value that those eggs would have had if they went to market. And we, you know, we, we put it off, we put it off, we put it off and it ended up being, I think originally they, they, they um, said they wanted to settle the claim for $765,000. It ended up selling, settling for like 2.2 million uh, was, was what they got. But the reason why it happened is really what was important. As soon as I found out that the carrier was going to be adversarial and how they were adjusting this claim, I immediately went to the policy and saw that we had coverage for um, professional services revol- uh, revolving around the claim. And we had a $50,000 sublimit and we used every ounce of that, not not a penny more, but we went right up to it, bringing in forensic accountants and everything else that we needed to in order to make sure that we had this thing is just adjusted as well as we could. But you're talking about probably a two, two and a half year time period before that thing finally closed out and reached its ultimate resolution. I say that because if you don't know these things, I mean, look, policies are, are a lot of pages and agents tend to flip through a good bit of them without understanding what's in them. Slow down sometime when you're you're looking for something to occupy yourself and actually read one. You'll you'll be amazed at what you pick up, even even as crazy as that sounds with a standard ISO form. No question about it. And frankly, um, it is I think it's actually quite revealing. And when when you as the advocate, at least I, I would hope that every broker or agent out there is an advocate. Um, with you as the advocate, it's really important that you be able to throw a rope to your customer and pull them to you. But so many agents out there push the rope. How effective is a rope that's pushed? <laughs> it's, it's, okay, so it's just this little thing that's squiggling around. But a but a a, a, a rope that's taut and that you're pulling in one direction, um, it has the effect of moving both you and whatever is at the end of it. And what I'm trying to convey in that analogy is that it is important that you lead the conversation. Um, and, 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 and you don't necessarily lead by telling you, I lead by asking. And that is my, that is Jerry Connery's secret sauce. Um, telling is not selling. Asking the right questions is what sells. You know what's sad? You can say that a hundred times and people are still not going to listen to it, which blows my mind because we have people on here that are extremely successful, long careers in this industry, and they're telling you exactly what got them there. And yet people just let it go in one ear and out the other, it just, it, which is fine by me because I love competing against those people. Well, no, I mean, you know, so I don't know of an industry that's more selfless than, than insurance in that the, the, the most successful people in the business, and certainly I'm not one of those, um, I'm just successful. Um, but the most successful people in this business will share their how 
Um, they'll write books on it. They will, um, they'll define it for, for you right down to the penny. Um, and I used to look at that and scratch my head and wonder, why would you give away your, 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 your competitive advantage? And then I realized that that was not the competitive advantage. You are the competitive advantage. And so how you take information and what you do with information and how you convey it and how you communicate, that is the secret sauce that it doesn't matter if I laid it out absolutely perfectly. It would not be exactly the same because it isn't me. And, uh, um, and I don't want anybody to be me. I want everybody to be them. But I do want them to be the best version of them. Because when they are the best version of them, they are raising our industry. I was, I was in, involved in a little Facebook uh, uh, communication about um, uh, a, another podcast that's being done and, and, a, and a young agent um, from Texas being invited in as, as a member of, the, uh, uh, of one of the 10 people that, he, that was going to be um, interviewed um, in, the, in this podcast. And he was scratching his head saying he doesn't understand how he's adding value or, or what kind of value he could bring looking at all the other people that are in there. And I wrote him a personal message, although I, I realized at the end that it wasn't personal because I, I responded. And I just reacted to it instead of sending it in a message like I, in my mind, I thought I had done. And what I had said to him was, look, man, you know, it's the rookies in this industry that, that move it forward. It's the rookies in this industry that don't understand what they don't know. They are the ones that, that, that can't be told no because we think no because it hasn't been done before. They think, why not? And I love why not. Why not is so empowering. And so um, I learn a lot from, from new folks. And that's why as a principal, you know, the perpetuation of my agency is all about the recruitment of the next um, layer of producers. And, um, and I spend more time doing that than I spend, you know, being the rainmaker in this agency. And I love rainmaking, but that's how much more I love this industry that I would spend more time developing the future. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm with you, man. I mean, as much as I like to go out and win and, and crush an account, I get as much or more satisfaction going out for an assist with one of my producers and watching them win. And, and, and not just that, but seeing the progression from the very first time we went on an appointment to what they've morphed into over time and how I'm talking less and less and pretty much get to the point where I don't have to say anything in an appointment because they've become so comfortable with what it is. And, you know, some, I guess some people can look at that and think that it sounds hokey or it sounds cliche, but those are the people that aren't genuine to begin with. If you're a genuine yeah. person and if your if your heart's in the right place, you know, you're going to be willing to spend that time. I mean, I think about some of the people that I know that are the most successful in this industry. They'll take my call anytime I need help with anything. Yeah. And so, and, and that is what's formed me to be the way that I am. And I, you know, I, not that I'm, you know, Mother Teresa of the insurance industry by a long stretch, but I mean, if there's anybody that needs help, I'm always making myself available. If you saw my calendar, probably 30% of my days are spent helping agents that have questions or want to talk. Oh, strategy. It's, all, it's all calls. I looked at it. I looked at it today. It's calls, you know, meeting this person, this person, whatever. I'm just like, where's your lunch at? Like, where, I mean, you were back to back to back today. You can be certain that I did not miss lunch. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. I was just wondering where it slid in there. But I, I totally agree with you. When I was um, 
doing the office supplies and I was the assistant manager in the office at a team of whatever, anywhere between. Hold on. Were you the assistant manager or assistant to the assistant manager? to the regional manager? Okay. Um, <laughs> so, but no, you know, a team anywhere from whatever, six to 15 people. And I could go out and, and have a big day myself and close an account, but it was always a way better feeling at the end of the day. If one of my newer guys came back with, you know, three accounts and, and just absolutely crush it. It was just, and that's the way it is. And I think that's true for not only, you know, this industry, but the people who are successful in every, in, in what they do in different areas of, um, you know, of the workforce, those are qualities that they possess. I, yeah, I think it's all interested in my process, but what I do, David, is if I have a, a, a rookie, um, what we do is we have, uh, we have machinations that help us create opportunities for sales. Right. And, and then when, when, when one populates, um, then what I do is I assign it to um, a new producer who has to spend quite a bit of time um, doing research on the risk and trying to figure out and, and anticipate the questions that the client might have to say. Um, and, and they do that on their own. They don't get a chance to pre-counsel with me. Then we go out on the appointment in tandem. And, uh, um, and I am introduced as the principal of the agency and the principal risk manager. And so my role is risk management and consulting. His role is brokering. And so everything related to the sale, to the policy, um, the underwriting, all the questions that, that uh, uh, is engaged with the client that focuses on that are asked by him. And what, my, what I do is I try to expose things that his, his or her, I, I don't have any hers right now, but I'm hoping to have a her. Um, I'm, I'm, I potentially got one in, in my sights at the moment, but uh, um, uh, the, produ- the two producers that I've been doing this, this, this with for the last uh, couple of years, um, my process is, is that I will wait until the very end. And if a question hasn't been asked and answered, then I will by the way um, and ask it as we're walking out the door. And what I tell them in the car is, by the way, is your indication from me to you that you missed something. And uh, I, I, I won't say anything in front of the customer that would, you know, that would undermine their confidence in, in him, because in the end, I want them going to him, not to me. Um, the role is for me to transfer knowledge. And the way I transfer knowledge best is, uh, is not through a textbook and a classroom, but experiential learning. And, uh, um, and by me rolling out there, I know that they're not taking on a risk that we don't understand or that we're not going to get adequate premium on because I'm actually one of the agents that cares when the premium's too low. I actually will tell the underwriter that, you know, I mean, for God's sakes, if the renewal's at 36,000, you're coming at 22, you think there's something about this risk you don't understand? I mean, do you really believe that there's a, that there's a circumstance in the marketplace where they could be 55% off? I don't think so. Okay. Not not in the world of actuary. So when I see that kind of differential, then I like to dive deep. And one of the things that, uh, um, that needs to be taught to all the young producers out there and anybody that's entering the world of, of, of property and casualty is focus on the endorsements, okay? You wanna look at the deck page? Well, the deck page better include the endorsements list and you better learn what all those endorsements mean. And hey, by the way, how about take that list off the deck page and check them in to make sure that they're all attached to the policy? How many times have you seen a deck page that's got a list or a quote even, probably more so with a quote, has a list of included forms and endorsements? And it's particularly true in ENS, right? 
you start getting into excess and surplus lines, you could have a list of forms and endorsements a mile long. How many producers out there actually ask that broker that's placing that for you to send you specimen copies of all of that stuff so that you can read it and understand it and know what your client is getting into, right? Kyle can tell you, I will ask for that 100% of the time. Yeah, and we that's do. One and things, that's one of the things I taught him early is, number one, look through this list. And if there's anything that gives you cause for concern based on titling, right. ask for it. But also, don't just assume because of the way that it's titled that you understand what the language is going to be. Get familiar with what some of these forms are. Now, if you if you place a lot of business with the same carrier, in, X, in ENS, like if you've got a program like Admiral does nutraceuticals and some CBD, they're one of the few markets that do like that sp- real specific niche that they're in. The forms are going to be the same on almost every single one of those. So you're going to understand these are included every single time. But then then you realize, oh, wait a minute, I've never seen this one before. You know, why, why did mm-hmm. they throw this in? And usually it's because there's an exposure there, right? And they don't want to be taking responsibility for it. So you know, ask for those things. That That's a, a great point and one that we don't talk about nearly enough. It's true. Yep. Yeah. We, 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 we try to aggregate um, all of our um, ENS business through as few houses as we can and utilizing the same um, underwriters as often as possible. And, and the, the benefit that comes from that is they, 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 they learn our protocol and our protocol is very, very simple. If it is not an ISO form, do not um, fail to send us um, a draft version or um, a copy or a specimen of the form because we're going to ask for it anyways. Um, and you might as well just get it, aggregate it, put it together and send it to us. Now, if you've sent it to us before, we will have it in our in, in our folders and we'll know what it says and you won't have to send it again. But if it's never been sent before, we expect you to send it. And when you have that kind of relationship with your with your underwriter, whether it's an ENS underwriter or even a you know a preferred carrier, bottom line is is that you want them telling you what you need to know, and um, they better know their product better than you. I mean, they only have to know one product. We have to know everything. Um, I used to, you know, I had an underwriter one time at Farmers tell me, well, how come you don't understand this rule? And I walked her over. And I said, can you show me your underwriting rules? And she pulled them out, and it, it was probably about I don't know 30, 35 pages, right? Because what did she underwrite? She underwrote one thing, auto. And I walked her over and I said, I want you to see what we're responsible for. I said, this is property. This is auto. This is inland marine. This is crime. This is um, excess. I go, we're responsible for all of this. They go, we are out creating the relationships and the opportunities for you. Your job is not to be, you know, Dr. No and figure out a way not to write something. Your job, your carrier didn't put you there to prevent business from being written. They want the right business written. So you need to educate me so that I can bring you the right business. And your attitude isn't going to get us there. Do you get that? And uh, again, I turned it into a question. But the point is, is that when you do that, that question hits them in the right place. And what's the reply going to be? Well, of course, I'm going to help you. And that's where we need to be. That's what, and, and, and so I've always enjoyed those kind of relationships. It's funny, man, because I, we have three, two, maybe three wholesalers that we use for our ENS and really for the bulk of it, unless it's something specialty, like we were talking about product recall and 
some other stuff. I wouldn't go to a generalist to, to place that. I would need somebody who really understands what that coverage does and be able to know that market. But by and large, we have a wholesaler for uh, that we use for any kind of cyber and professional risk, and, and along with management liability. And then we have the other wholesaler that's pretty much whatever the GL property, all of that other stuff. That's it in the entire agency. And I have worked with both of those people for over 15 years. The yep. one lady, the one lady wrote the very first policy I ever wrote when I got my insurance license. Awesome. And I, that's just, I mean, that, we're in a relationship business, you know, and, and that's it's talked about plenty, but I mean, it's true, man. I, I have a comfort level there. I get solicited and you, I'm sure you do too. I get solicited by wholesalers all the time. No chance I'm leaving. No chance. Yeah. Dude, they call, they call me to get to you. Yeah. Because <laughs> I told them to call I, you. And I always give them your sale. That's great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I operate and I operate on Pacific time. So please call me at eight o'clock Eastern. <laughs> so listen, I want to get in before we wrap up. I want to get into the community involvement and the stuff that you've done in, in the conscious decision that you've made as an agency principal and a business in the community to make an impact. Why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about the, the community efforts that you guys have right now? Well, we are, we're on many fronts. Um, first of all, um, it, it, it all starts with who you hire, right? You got to hire people that care. And so um, unusual to us is one of the things that I ask in an interview is, you know, what kinds of things do you support and what are you into? And, and what do you do that's selfless? You know, what, who, what interview question asks, what do you do that's selfless? But I want to understand what care looks like, because if you can't convey care, you're not going to be very successful in my agency, because that is the one thing we do is care. And I have to say that the majority of people out there don't, okay? Or at least they don't prove it through their actions. They may say they do, but they don't prove it through their actions. I care about what is said, how it's said, um, and how often it's said. Those things matter to me. And they, they come up in our, our, our management meetings and our, our one-on-one interviews all the time. Connery Insurance Brokers, uh, we support the things that our employees support. So we have matching dollar programs um, and things like that. But as an agency, um, our focus has been really right here, Southern California, Orange County, right where I'm at. Um, we love anything related to children and anything related to disabilities and anything related to um, uh, uh, folks that are, are marginalized in any way. And we, because we can get behind those things, our heart gets into it. And then think about the array of clientele I've got. Okay. And I am a generalist, by the way. Um, you didn't ask that question, David, but I was hoping you would because it's the one thing I wanted to make sure I said before we ended this, this conversation today. If I had it to do all over, I wouldn't be who I am today. I would be very, very different. And so I look at the guys at like uh, um, uh, that are there. There's a wholesaler that does nothing but um, uh, cyber business. Okay. And uh, I'm not going to mention them because I, I, I just, it's not their day today. We're not talking about them. But the point is, is that this, this young group of, of owners decided that they're going to know and own the market 
in cyber. They're going to help write new forms. They're going to go find new markets. They're going to educate the agents and they're going to change the world of cyber um, because it is underrepresented. It was the stepchild ma management liability policy for years. Um, I love that. I love that. I today, if I was 26 and entering the business for the first time, I would absolutely pick a niche and I would own it and I would be the guy in that niche. I, to, th to this day, I don't have a niche and it's my greatest frustration uh, because I don't, um, my, my days are not homogenized. You know, I don't, I can't anticipate what next email call or whatever is going to come up. And that frustrates me. But uh, um, getting back to community now, okay? So we support um, the things that our, our, our um, um, employees support, um, but we're, we're deep in things like uh, Boys and Girls Club. Um, we're deep in uh, um, uh, after school, school programs. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and I happen to be a Presbyterian and uh, I do things that are related to the uh, ministries of the Presbyterian Church. And that's just where my heart lies. I give a scholarship at Cal State Fullerton every year to an entrepreneurial student for $3,500. And I've been doing that for 20 years. And um, I also um, uh, am a uh, adjunct. Um, well, I'm not a, I take that back. I am a, uh, uh, an entrepreneur in residence. And this is the title they give me so that I don't have to be a professor, but I go into the classroom and I teach and I do it on a voluntary basis. And uh, it's in the um, a discipline of management called entrepreneurship. And I teach both undergraduate and graduate level. And they're some of the most attended classes in the, at the university. I, I, I'm absolutely hmm. thrilled about it. How, how did you get into that aspect? Well, they, they, in 2003, I was approached by the university. Um, they had a group of students that were in management um, uh, and in studying management, and they needed a capstone course was they needed to do a case study on a business. And they asked if my business could be um, one of them. And I said, well, I have this issue. And they said, okay. So they did this whole study on it. And it was the worst freaking thing I've ever seen in my life. It was, <laughs> it was terrible. Um, it was, it wasn't well thought out. Um, it didn't uh, connect with the client. Um, there was so much disconnect that you want to talk about a, a report that was telling it probably weighed three pounds. Okay. And I called it a doorstop. And for seven years, it was used to hold my door open. Um, that's the best value I got out of everything that was there was the weight of the paper. Nice. Um, and instead, and, and I wasn't, I didn't pull back. They asked my opinion. I told them, I told them all um, uh, right there. Uh, and I said, look, I, I, I'm not here to protect you and your grade. I'm here to protect my business and the advice that I've paid for. And I don't think I got a very good, uh, um, uh, uh, I don't think I got anything really valuable. And the professor um, was gracious and, and, and then approached me about four weeks later and said, hey, would you be interested in being a mentor in our class so that we can have somebody that could act as that quality control and make sure that the product that the customer ends up getting um, is worthy? And they've won 11 national titles in competition against Harvard, USC, UCLA, um, uh, Yale. Uh, this little Cal State Fullerton group 
whether it's an undergrad group or a grad group, they've been in a top five finish for the last 20 years. And I've been a big part of that, just helping to change the scope of it and um, uh, bringing a level of quality control that's, that, that, that really changed. And then look at my clientele. I can see the cases. I know the cases that need to be worked. If they've got a recruiting problem, well, let's get the leadership program working on this problem. And, oh, they've got a financial controls problem. Well, the accounting group can do that one. But these guys need um, to understand how to digitally market. So the e-commerce group um, focus. So there, there, there are these uh, different uh, um, focuses, and it's just fascinating. And I just love going into these businesses and I'm experiencing it. And then, of course, they always learn what I do. And I have to tell you, over the years, a few of those have become clients. <laughs> nice. That's good, man. I think that's part of the problem that you have people that are out there um, willing to tell everybody what's wrong, but they don't do what they need to do to fix it. And, you know, if you're going to give honest feedback, have a solution too. you know, that's one I thing do. that I was taught early in my career. It, it it's okay to be direct with people and, and to give them uh, the answer they don't necessarily want to hear. But when you do that, give them the opportunity to, to have a solution heard at the same time. That's the difference between being a problem solver and being a jerk, in my opinion. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. So listen, we've been going almost an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. I really appreciate um, you coming on and talking with us, but you know, just going back to the roots of insurance is always refreshing because so much of what we do at Florida Risk doesn't even focus on the insurance piece. It's all of the other stuff that I forget how much I like talking about the coverage forms and the endorsements and all of those things too. So thank you for bringing that back um, because I think a lot of people can can learn from some of the conversation that we had today. People are going to want to reach out to you, Jerry, and I know that you're, you know, involved in IAOA and you're you're on Facebook and, and in places in the internet. But why don't you tell them how the the best way how you prefer to be reached? Well, you know, anybody that wants to reach out to me can um, come to my website, ConnerInsurance.com. Um, there's a place, talk to Jerry. It's there. Um, they can send me an email, Jerry at ConnerInsurance.com, um, and uh, um, and I mean, I always reply and I always respond. And if you need to call me, you can just call me at the office, 877-450-1872, and I'll actually pay for the call. Um, and uh, um, <laughs> we'll see if I can help. Um, I, I just I, Year end is very difficult for me, okay? 1-1 one, one is a big day in the world of insurance. You know, Big Daddy Insurance starts on 1-1. One, one. It just, it's just the way it is. So for the next two weeks, I not, may not be as accessible as I would often be, you know, just before coming onto this call, I told my client that I, I had a, a, a podcast to get to and I had a hard stop at one o'clock and he said, more important than my renewal? I said, no, not more important than my renewal, but we just need to get you done by 12.59, okay? So let's get it done. <laughs> there you go. Well, you're, you're safe because this won't even hit the airwaves till after the first of the year. Ah, so good. you don't have to worry about about uh, one one getting conflicted. But listen, I just wanted to thank you for your friendship and thank you for coming on. And I look very much forward if you're able to make it to this side of the country, whether it be for Innovation 21 or not, I've got a glass of good scotch and a fine cigar waiting for you. And I'm ready to uh, sit down and talk more shop with you. Well, thank you. Know you. you my language with that, David. That and your <laughs> that, you, that you showed me the other day, you, you raised my barbecue game. Now I've got to start getting into the, to the David level. 
And uh, my wife is like, David level, what are you talking about? I go, let me show you. Right? And so I showed her <laughs> <some> pictures. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, listen, I don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Really appreciate it. And we will talk soon. Absolutely. Um, one more thing, David, you know, the, the feeling is actually mutual. Um, uh, I get out to Florida once in a while and the next time I'm out there, I'm, I'm going to come by. Um, but if you're in Orange County or Southern California and you want to come in this direction, um, I knew you know how to be a pretty fair host and I've had my share of that. And, uh, um, I'm, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not too bad with cooking either. So I, well, you know, the one thing I do know after talking to you is that your internet signal is solid. So I'm not going to have to worry about getting any of my messages if I come by. That's true. Listen, good to see you. Thank you for asking me. I'm honored and I'm, 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 I'm humbled by the whole thing. Um, I love to give Sage advice. It's what, it's what I really live for. In fact, uh, um, my marketing team right now is, is, uh, um, is, is, is chasing after the TM rights to insurance sage. They just they they think that that's a good uh, that's a good uh, byline for us. And uh, I think that I'm now maybe worthy of, of such a, a moniker, um, but not for any other reason than to just suggest that that w- w- always know that there's somebody out there that can help you and solve your problem. And what sage is about is about um, an appropriate response to a question. And I always will be appropriate in any question, and I welcome them because it really keeps me going and helps me be relevant. And when somebody asks me a question, it validates that um, that somebody's noticed that you know all this hard work is actually worthy and paying off. So thank you for your time and thank you for what you're doing and and exposing me to podcast. And um, now I got to figure out how to listen to one. <laughs> there you go. Well, I'll make I'll make sure you have that taken care of. No problem at all. Have a great week, my friend. Thanks, Jerry. Bye-bye. See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 